0: I invite you to turn in your Bibles, I hope you brought one with you, to the 8th chapter of the book of Acts, Acts chapter 8. The last uh, portion of this chapter uh, is an account of, as your heading probably says, Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. So I'd like to read beginning at verse 26 and read down through verse 40. This is God's word, and it is true. Uh, let's stand as we hear God's word, if you can. Now, an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza or Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and went, and there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage of the scripture that he was reading was this. Like a sheep that was led to the slaughter, and like a lamb before its shearers is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, about whom, I ask you, does the prophet say this? About himself or about someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, See, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water. Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they had come up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away. And the eunuch saw him no more, and went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself in Azotus, and as he passed through, he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. This is God's word. We'll pray that the Lord uses it to encourage us this morning. Let's pray to that end. Father in heaven, thank you for your word. We thank you for the acts of the apostles and those who followed and studied under them and were instructed by them. Even this man, Philip, who uh, attracts our attention today, may we rejoice in what you teach us here in this passage. For Jesus' sake, amen. amen. Please be seated. Probably like some others uh, in the congregation, and probably unlike other people in the congregation, I enjoy every once in a while watching a sporting event on television. Most times I'm not very particular. I don't have uh, a team that I root for. I'm a purist. I like the best team to win. Except... Duke should win all the time. Sorry. But I'll watch part of a football game, a baseball game. I watch part of the World Series. I I like hockey some, uh, a little bit of golf, downhill skiing. But the other day, I sank to a new low. It was only about five minutes, but I watched... Two teams. Uh, well, they were it was two guys on each team, and they were standing 27 feet apart from one another, and they were throwing a bag of beans into a hole. Now, there are some people. I hope none here. There are some people who think that is the sport of sports. Cornhole. Not me. That is... Get this pun. That is not my bag. Now, this week, as I mentioned, I spent uh, some days with uh, Pastor Proctor and several other men down in San Antonio, and we were talking with uh, Home Missions uh, people about uh, the church and revitalization and that sort of thing. I'll let uh, Pastor Phil uh, talk tell you about all the details. Uh, <laughs> but I had planned this sermon a couple of weeks ago, and uh, then that whole thing happened. And then I get here, and I listen to the Sunday school class, and he took my thunder. And then the guy gets up here and prays, And he took the rest of my thunder, but I'm going to talk about, I think, the central topic of this message today, what sometimes a lot of Christians would say the same thing that I said about cornhole, evangelism, that is not my bag. And yet, as we have heard from multiple sources already this morning, uh, as believers, yeah, guess what? It's your bag. It's your bag. And so I'm going to talk a little bit about evangelism this morning, not to make you feel guilty. I don't want to make you feel guilty uh, about this at all, but I want you to, to uh, see... And to wonder and to begin to pray uh, about this glorious privilege that we have as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ to communicate this marvelous good news to people in our world who so desperately need it. And so my desire is to stimulate you assuredly, knowing that this is a good, a very good part of the Christian life. I want to just recount the story to you again. I just read it, but then to see what uh, this passage might encourage us as those who want to speak about the Lord Jesus Christ. In this account, we read uh, this example of one of the disciples of the Church of Christ, One man, one Christian, joyfully. This is, the, this is what the church has always been about. And it was about it for you who are believers this morning. One person spoke to another person about the wonders of the grace of Jesus Christ. That's what evangelism is. Leading other people into the welcoming arms of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, in this case, we find this man, Philip, ministering to the Samaritans in the earlier part of this chapter. The Samaritans, as you know, were a mixed group of people who had some Jewish background but had essentially forsaken their Jewish, any part of their Jewish tradition. They were hated, in fact, by the Jewish people of the day. Jesus himself, you remember, had opened the door to ministry to the Samaritans as he walked through Samaria, sat down by a well in John 6. Uh, It's recorded that he interacted with this Samaritan woman. In this case, you find Philip going to this group of people in Samaria. Luke had already written that this gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. We read it at the beginning of the service today. The plan of God was to bring the gospel to the nations of the world in concentric circles, first in Jerusalem, then in Judea, then in Samaria, and then to the uttermost parts of the world. That's a worldwide church, a worldwide church that would bring glory to God because of his grace and because of the work of the Lord Jesus Christ, and because of the powerful inner working of the Holy Spirit in the hearts of people. And so that theme that we read earlier is part of this and lays the background for this. In this section of Acts, you have that first Gentile in Acts coming to know Christ. Eusebius, the great ancient historian of the church, records that this Gentile, was among those that he called the eschaton andros, the last of men, the end guys, as it were, in the proclamation of the gospel. And yet, what do we find in this passage? This Gentile was baptized into the covenant of God's grace. What a marvelous thing. Now, we don't know the reason, but well, i mean ultimately we know the reason but the holy spirit chooses philip not one of the apostles but philip one of the deacons of chapter 6 of acts to undertake this groundbreaking and very important step in the life of the church he was a part of those men who were to oversee the diaconal care of the widows in the church. And yet, obviously, Philip is a very gifted person. And so in verse 2, it says, an angel of the Lord said to Philip, go to the south road, a desert road, road, that might be indicative of something that's going to happen here, that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. Now, Gaza is a Uh, A desert strip of land to the south of Judea on the way to Ethiopia or the way to Egypt and then into the uh, inner parts of Africa. In obedience, Philip went down to this desert place from the country of Samaria. And as he arrived, he saw a chariot going along the road there, a vehicle that belonged obviously to someone who was very important. And Luke tells us that this very important person was a eunuch of Ethiopia, a a court official of the queen of Ethiopia in charge of the treasury. He was the secretary of the treasury uh, of uh, Ethiopia. Philip decides to thumb a ride, as it were. you know, can I, can I talk to you a minute? Now, this man in the chariot is uh, busy, isn't he? He's reading something. He had heard previously uh, about the God of the Jews, and it tells us that he had gone up to Israel to worship. We suppose to worship God. And had come uh, there with a desire to, to have a greater knowledge of this great God that he had heard of, of the Israelites. But no matter how much he had longed for God, no matter how much he had searched for God in Jerusalem, he had not found what he looked for in the temple, in the city. And it must have been, to some extent, a great disappointment to him. Because now he was traveling on his way back. He had not been, by his visit to the temple, to Jerusalem, he had not been brought into the covenant, but rather specifically rejected by those of the covenant. The Jewish system demanded that there be a a restriction of people not able to come. He was limited to to the... To the court of the Goyim, of the foreigners, not to those of Israel. But, somehow or other, he had gone to the bookstore there in Jerusalem and he had purchased a scroll. And as he was riding back home to Ethiopia, he was reading this scroll. Scroll of the book of Isaiah. With great curiosity and great uh, desire to understand the depths of what was being said by this ancient prophet of Israel. And then Philip comes up and he says, Hey, what you reading? What you reading? Well, probably shocked. It was not, of course, by chance. We don't believe in chance. That the eunuch was reading one of the most Christ-centered, salvation-oriented, evangelistic chapters of the entire Old Testament. Isaiah chapter 53. In this chapter, you find facts about the humiliation of the Christ, the substitutionary atonement of the Savior as well as the promise of his great exaltation as that Savior. No Christian has ever read Isaiah 53 without being moved to a greater and deeper love for the Savior. I have to pause there and say no Christian has ever read. I I listened to a, a woman who was leading a Bible study of a group of women who had been in an evangelical church all their lives. And she was leading a a Bible study in Isaiah, and they came to chapter 53, and the Bible study leader said, this is about Jesus. And those women who had been in church, they all wept because they'd never seen it before. There's a lesson there. Go to a church that preaches the gospel from the Old and the New Testament, right? Yeah, that was free, by the way. Thank you, Phil, for doing that. This text must have moved Philip himself again. So Philip asked, do you understand what you're reading? The answer is, how can I understand unless someone explains it to me? I can't understand this. Here's one of those situations that Jesus has in the gospel and that the apostles have in the book of Acts where they go to a synagogue. Remember this? They go to a synagogue and they sit down on the Sabbath day and the leaders of the synagogue say, said to Jesus, said to Paul, said to Peter, do you have something to say to us? And Jesus and the apostles rubbed their hands together and said, oh yeah, I've got some things. Well, here's one of those. How can I understand unless someone explains? Could you explain to us? Well, given that wide open door, that wide open door, Philip begins to speak. Beginning with these verses in Isaiah 53. And then using other portions of the Scripture, maybe even of Isaiah itself. The text tells us that Philip explained To the Ethiopian Ethiopian eunuch, the good news about Jesus to this eunuch if you go back i don't want to spend a lot of time but if you go back and read those verses again the full uh, the full text of those two verses in isaiah 53 uh, listen to what uh, you know a six point sermon that philip could have preached he was oppressed and he was afflicted yet he opened not his mouth like a lamb what does that refer to the lamb right like a lamb has led to the slaughter like the sheep that is before it shears is silent, he opened not his mouth by oppression and judgment he was taken away as for his generation, who can consider that he was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people. What do you have there? You have the suffering, you have the death. You have the substitutionary atonement of the Lord Jesus. And Philip was able to just open this up to this Ethiopian eunuch. As you read it, as you think about it, as he explained just this text, you can imagine how the heart of this man was warmed. As he was approached as... One who is one of, what the text says there in Isaiah, my people. My people. That covenant no longer bound to race, to nation, not to economic status, not to intellectual or cultural restrictions. It was clear that faith was rising in the heart of, of this foreign man, To the clarity of the beauty of the words of the scripture. And that it quenched his thirst. It quenched his thirst. The understanding of his heart was open. To the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. It was obvious then. As they came to the pool of water. Along the side of the road. That the eunuch said. Hey Philip. Philip. What's to prevent me? What's to prevent me from being baptized? Evidently, Philip had already explained to this man that all who believed in the Christ were to be baptized with water as a sign of new life and as a sign of their inclusion now into the covenant of God's grace that was made available to all men. But then it's interesting that as they come up out of the water, and this isn't a a reference to immersion as a mode of baptism. That's another whole topic. But uh, as they came up out of the water, Philip's gone. Philip's gone. This man's by himself. Baptized. You know, what do I do now? What do I do now? well, it's interesting, isn't it? We don't know why God did it that way I don't certainly don't, but we do know that this African man who had read the words of the scripture and had seen them fulfilled in the life, the ministry, the death, the resurrection of Jesus, understanding that Jesus had suffered for his Sins in his place, risen for his justification, ascended so that he might be sanctified by the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. This message of the good news that Philip told him, he didn't doubt it. He didn't doubt it. He embraced the wonderful news of what Jesus had done. And he became part of the people of God and in fact, would transform his life. But, notice that he did not turn back to Jerusalem. It says, he went on his way rejoicing. And do you know what happened as a result of that? What happened was that the church of the Lord Jesus Christ went to Ethiopia in Africa. And it's still there to this day. And our brothers and sisters are worshiping our Lord and our Savior. And they're being persecuted as well, by the way. Now, we're told that this Ethiopian eunuch, like so many others who had learned the truth of the good news, did exactly what he did. A man from whom demons was cast, Jesus said, return home. And tell how much God has done for you. So the man went away and told all over town how much Jesus had done for him. A man whose legs were strengthened and straightened. Immediately he rose up before them and picked up what he had been lying on. And he went home. A blind man whose sight was restored. Jesus laid his hands on his eyes again. And he opened his eyes His sight was restored and he saw everything clearly and he sent him to his home. And this Ethiopian eunuch went to his home. Now that word home in Greek is called, is the word oikos, oikos. And it means more than just the house in which you live. It's rather a word that includes everything about you and all of the people that you interact with, and all the spheres of influence that you have. We sometimes speak of it as my little world. That's your oikos. The eunuch went to his oikos. Now that's the story, the account And there are many, many other things that could be said about it. But what does it all have to do with us? What does it have to do with us as believers today? I think most simply what we find here is that Philip fits into the purpose of Luke in describing the acts of the apostles as the word of God is spread across the world. As He is an example. He is a representative, if you will, of all Christians. First Christians that God has used to influence each of us and then to represent us as we go and reach other people for the Lord. Take note of some of the things about Philip, just by way of observation. Number one, Philip had a concern. He had a compassion He had an understanding of what it was like to be lost. He imitated the Lord Jesus Christ in this, seeing that the field around him was white under harvest, first for the Samaritans, and then, as the angel told him, go down and talk to this African man. He was involved, not just interested or knowing, but involved in reaching the lost. I mentioned that Earlier in Acts, you find him reaching out to those Samaritans. He was in the right place to come in contact with the lost. He didn't have to wait for the Samaritan to come to his house. He didn't wait for the eunuch to stop by his place. He was where they were. He was sensitive to the voice and the mind of the Spirit of God. We don't know exactly how God communicated to Philip, it says an angel told it. But we do find that he went to Gaza in obedience to what the Holy Spirit had instructed him. He asked questions. This Philip did. My pastor and Stanton is preaching through the Gospel of of John, and he made mention of something that I probably was aware of. But he said the very first words that Jesus speaks. In the Gospel of John, the very first words of Jesus are, What are you looking for? What are you seeking? He says to Nathaniel, What are you looking for? What a great evangelistic approach or method there. Question. He asked questions, and then you know what he did? He listened. He listened to what the man had to say. And he addressed himself to the question that the man was asking. Because he was ready, he was equipped, he knew his Bible. And he knew how to take that Bible and to bridge it into a conversation about the gospel message. And so, today, we're going to finish here and we're going to go to our oikoses. That's an English pluralization of the Greek. Uh, you're going to go to your homes. We go as a Philip. We go as people who desire to transmit the faith. To communicate the message of the gospel of Christ to those within the sphere of our homes, our little worlds. But it's never Well, it shouldn't be, but sometimes it is, but it shouldn't be a matter of some kind of works righteousness. Oh, I'm going to go and I'm going to be a witness because if I'm not a witness, then I'm going to go, you know, then I'm not going to be pleasing to God. That's not it. I think as believers, we just naturally, or maybe I should say supernaturally, we just have a sincere desire to talk to people about the Lord. We don't always do that. But we do have the desire to do that. And so we go. And you know, as you as you go to your homes, you know who those people are. They're the people in your own homes. They're certainly your family members. They're your co-workers on your jobs, either online or in person, however you're working these days. They're your neighbors, three doors, five doors, down down the road? I was curious this week, or in the last couple weeks, I, I, I tried to make a list of the number of people that I had come in contact with. About 25 or 30 people in all. Some formally, some informally. About half were Christians, about half are non-Christians. You can make a list for yourself. It's kind of an interesting exercise. Who are the people that I came in contact with? Well, once you make your list... You know what you can begin to do? You can begin to pray. And you have a distinct advantage. You have an advantage in talking to these people because you know them. Some probably better than others, but you know about them. You know their location. You know their habits. You know their interests. Some of them, you have a pretty good understanding of their attitudes and their perspective perspectives. Some of them might be completely secular people. You know some things about secular people? They have really no reference to God at all. God is just not in their vocabulary or their sphere of thought. At least they think that. You know, secular people are almost completely ignorant about what you believe. They're almost completely ignorant about even the most basic Christian truth. They may make make fun of you. They may mock you. But most of them really have no idea what you think or why you think it. Secular people think that they have everything in this life before they die. So they're far more concerned about what's happening right here, right now. And as a consequence, their meaning, their purpose, their significance, even what they call their identity now is all wrapped up in what they do for a living or in their money or their family or some other point of this world identity. Secular people are people far more conscious of doubt than they are of guilt. We've been told by our culture that guilt is something that is a purely negative feeling that we should not talk about. Don't talk about guilt. Get rid of all guilt. Well, now, there's no such thing as real guilt to most secular people. But many people... If you would ever get them to be honest, if you would ever get them to be honest, they would tell you that they're managing with great, great spiritual, inner soul difficulties in their own hearts. Many of the people that we talk to are lonely. Are you getting a picture here? Getting a picture. These are the people that you're interacting with. They're lonely. They may be married, they may be engaged. They may live in a party culture where they get together with other people and do all kinds of crazy things, but they're alone. Their families are split up, often for just trivial reasons. There's competition in the workplace, in the home, wherever Sadly, the worst thing about them is that even though all of those things are true of them, they do not know where to turn to find truth for their lives. They do not know where to look for what they know that they need. Now, I've not exhausted the list. I, I've generalized it. But if you think about it relation, some of the things that I've mentioned in relationship to the people that you know, primarily unbelievers, these are characteristics. Now, once we know, you see, so we're aware of that and we think about it, you can, you can anticipate what your next contact with those people is going to be. There's going to be a family crisis. There's going to be a death or a divorce or a wayward child or a Thanksgiving dinner, (laughs) which is coming up. And sometimes those are great crises. Some are going to experience some kind of occupational or financial hardship. Some are going to be troubled in their marriages. So many marriages are troubled. Many suffer from just the ordinary common issues of life depression fear anxiety self-image uselessness how horrible is that but you know that you know that and so you can pray specifically for the for the occasion the next occasion when you're going to come across this particular person. And use that opportunity and pray to the God who indwells you by his spirit. Lord, enable me to bridge this next conversation into an opportunity to speak about Christ to them. Knowing, you see, you can prepare your mind Repair your heart. What questions can I gently ask? What questions can I ask? How can I make the transfer from uh, Sheila's complaints about her marriage or John's problems with his boss? How can I bridge that into a conversation about Christian truth? You know that Gladys's favorite saying is, oh my God, how do you take that? And use it to say he's not your God. Your God is some God you made. Let's talk about the God who made you. You know that Ralph always talks about the man upstairs. He's not a man. I tried that one time. Boy, talk about opening a discussion. He's not a man. He's not a ten foot tall man. Everyone you talk to, when they say, when they leave you, they say what? Good luck. Chance is nothing. Luck is stupid. Right? Go to the grocery store, scratch your lucky ticket. nan, nothing. You know my favorite one. How are you? I'm good. My question was... Are you good or are you well? There's a difference, right? All kinds of ways in which you can brush. Even if you know the vocabulary habits of the people in your home, in your oikos, in your little world, get ready. Get ready with a gentle, godly, truthful response. As you prepare. As you prepare. Not merely... To use just God words, but to take the good news about Jesus, know the gospel, folks. Know the gospel. What is the gospel? I can't. I, it, I put. It, I boil it down to a fourfold message. It's a message about God. God is holy. God is loving. God is just. It's a message about man. We're sinful. We rebel against God. And because of our sin, we're guilty. It's a message about the Lord Jesus Christ. What did He? Who is He and what did He do? He's God's Son who came to this world to die on a cross, to raise from the dead, that He might give life to His people. The Gospel is a message about repentance and it's about faith. And the point is that people do have needs. And as Christians, we can speak to those needs through the wonderful message of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, you don't need to think that you can dump the whole load on people because you're going to have opportunities probably to talk to those people again. But you can say something. You can say something that will, as one, uh, one author, put a stone in their shoe. Put a stone in their shoe. Get them to think about something. You can easily be assured that there will not be any real, permanent, or peaceful solution to their problems apart from coming to Christ. So, is evangelism your bag? Probably not from a professional, from a skilled way? Maybe it is. Is it the natural expression of your personality? Maybe not. But remember, you are no longer natural. You are no longer natural. You are supernatural people, equipped by the Holy Spirit of God to do the work that He's called us as a body of people to do. You are the one who can speak the wonderful words of life. Pray that God will use you in this way. Pray specifically for those people on your list. Dare to pray. And I say this, dare to pray today, Lord, give me one opportunity this week to speak for Christ. I'll guarantee you that God will present you with an opportunity if you pray for it. And then take advantage of that opportunity and speak to someone about Christ. God will answer your prayer. Now, Phil told me after I had prepared this, uh, Jerry, we have communion right after the sermon, and so you have to meld your sermon into the table. And what I'm about to say is not artificial. It's not clamping the Lord's Supper onto uh, this sermon. There are many facets to the uh, celebration of the Lord's Supper as represented here at the table. One of the important elements pictured here is the display of the open arms of a loving God. How deep the Father's love for us. You're just saying that. It's displayed right here. Jesus said in Matthew's uh, Gospel, Come, take and eat. Take this body. Take this drink and all of you drink of it. It's reflected all through the Scriptures. We don't we don't have an invitation system, usually in the Orthodox Presbyterian church. This is it. This is the invitation. Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Come, everyone who thirsts. Come to the waters. Buy milk. Buy wine. Come, you who are heavy laden and weary, and I will give you rest. Come, says the Spirit and the Bride. That's the church. Let the one who desires come and take the water of life without price. Here Jesus is giving an invitation to each one of us who is heavy laden or problematic in some way or other. And we're reminded of the wonderful embracing Love of the Lord Jesus. For those who don't know Christ, this is the invitation. and You need to be aware that this gospel is for you in your need today. We worship the God who comes to very needy people with his arms wide open and declares to them, through you, Philip, imitators of Philip, These are the words of life. Come and partake. May God be pleased to use us individually and to use Sterling Church as this body of people who proclaim this gospel to a needy world. Let's pray to that end. Our Father in heaven, thank you for the work of the apostles and Philip and Stephen who equally Proclaimed boldly the things of Christ. We pray that you would convince each one of us, believers, disciples here this morning, that we have the privilege of being witnesses, evangelists of the true gospel, the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you for that privilege. Amen.